My guest today is Ross Miller. My name is Charlie Hall, and you're listening to Polygons Quality Control. Ross, thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about Ready Player One, which you recently reviewed at Polygon. How you doing? That I did. Um, I'm doing. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you, sir? You know, I'm doing all right. I was. I've been playing some more PUBG, that new map. I'm really enjoying that new map, Ross. We should team up. I am so jealous. I've I've been on a Fortnite kick, but I want to get back into PUBG because it just looks so much better than when I last played. <laughs> it's actually funny. I, I spoke at uh, Lakes Community High School here uh, in my my local area and that's all the kids in the audience could ask me about was like what do you play like PUBG or Fortnite I'm like I I play both and I love them both but I love PUBG more <laughs> when you think about it it's 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 really the Beatles versus Rolling Stones of our generation man oh man <laughs> speaking of great cultural touchstones let's talk about Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One Ross Let's assume that our audience knows very little about what this movie is about. What is Ready Player One? All right, yeah. Ready Player One is, I think it's the first Steven Spielberg blockbuster in quite a quite some time. Uh, it is an unapologetic action movie blockbuster um, based on this book by Ernest Cline, Ready Player One. Um, it does take quite a few liberties with the details, but the broad points are the same. Um, the main character is... Uh, his real name is Wade Watts, but his online avatar is this character named Parzival. And I think that's a little more important because most of the movie takes place in this kind of virtual utopia world called uh, Oasis. Uh, so the creator of the Oasis uh, has recently passed uh, when the movie opens, and all these people are trying to hunt for what's called the Easter egg. Uh, now, it's different than like what we know of Easter eggs and kind of the video game parlance, although it's kind of inspired by that. The Easter egg is just this one mythical object, and whoever finds it first gets control of the Oasis, which, as far as you can tell, the way this movie works, this virtual world is pretty much the biggest economy in the universe. So it's it's interesting. So most of the movie takes place in the Oasis, but what you see outside of it is is, is kind of just, like, dirty and, like kind of dingy uh wade himself lives in this place called the stacks which is literally like trailers stacked up on top of each other um but most people as they kind of show in the early montage and they kind of infer throughout the movie basically live majority of their lives within the oasis this virtual world full of different hubs that you can visit you can interact with other people who are like obviously have their own avatars some original some very clearly pop culture references um, so yeah, it's like, they talk a lot about like, you can spend money to get equipment in the real world, but also just like in world gear and loot a lot. So it, I can't recall if they actually say it very specifically, but it is definitely inferred that this is the biggest economy or economic moment for most people in the world. Wow. How, what, what an interesting parallel though. We're, we're here in the real world. It feels almost as if VR is kind of floundering because adoption just isn't, picking up at the rate that folks want to see it pick up at. And there's, there feels like there's fewer um, really ambitious games 
coming out in the VR space than there were just a few years ago. Here it is in this this alternate world that that it's doing quite well. One question that I've got though, when you see this kind of you know cutting edge, I'm using air quotes here for those of you listening at home, <laughs> cutting edge stuff. When you see it in movies, you know they don't always quite get it right. How does how does Steven Spielberg's VR translate to what we understand VR to be today? Uh, well, you you have to, and I think with the many parts of this movie, you kind of have to, to turn your brain off pr- pretty pretty much straight to zero. <laughs> um, it again, it's a blockbuster action movie, and so a lot of it like doesn't make sense. Questions like, why is there only one virtual world that ever existed? Why do people use motion controllers instead of like keyboard and mouse? Um, you know, it's it makes for great entertainment value and if you think of it more as like kind of a metaphor for us being on our phones and watching twitch or like playing things like Fortnite, it isn't far removed from reality but it does you know it feels like you have to take this one giant leap of faith which is only one virtual world ever existed no one ever made another one and for some reason people really really like waving their arms in the real world because that just makes it feel more real i have no idea that, to me, was always the biggest leap when watching the movie. All right. You say in your review that Ready Player One is unapologetically a commercial action movie designed to put spectacle first. Tell me about the spectacle of this thing. Give me some vignettes without spoiling it too much. Uh, all right. I'll do what I can about without spoiling too much. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, like, as I was saying before, like, this movie is really about like turning your brain off and enjoying the action scenes. The action scenes, particularly everything in the Oasis, um, just looks so good on a big screen. Uh, there's a lot of key races. There's, uh, I think the trailer has hinted at a giant battle with all these different characters. Um, it really is just like this kind of gorgeous movie. And I think for some people, um, the pop culture references are there and they're, they're unmasked, but like they're kind of this background ambience. Like, um, obviously, like, from the trailer, you can see the DeLorean is there. That's what the, the dude races. But if you don't know that part, it's just eye candy. It's just fun. Um, I think it does a good job of just putting the action first and just, like, having fun, letting people kind of be along for the ride. These big fight scenes, these super fast, ridiculous racing scenes, because it's a virtual world, they can kind of, like, you know, take liberties with, like, how physics work or... They can throw in, like, what would be a great reference if you get it, but if you don't, it's still just a crazy big thing to see. And this is me trying to avoid spoilers. Okay, uh, okay. Obviously. Um, now, the the cast of this is kind of interesting. I'm scan- Again, I'm scanning through <laughs> I'm scanning through your review, and, oh, hey, there's Orson Krennic. There's, there's Ben Mendelsohn, CEO of Innovative Online Industries. Uh, how, how was Ben's performance as the big bad in this guy? Tell me about him. So first, let me preface by saying I love all these actors and pretty much everything else they do, without question. Uh, Olivia Cook, for example, I thought she was really great in this movie called Thoroughbreds that just came out. Uh, ben Mendelsohn, I love, uh, especially like in Bloodline. I think he's just an amazing actor. Uh, in this movie, though, he's kind of the Spielberg equivalent of Steve Buscemi in 30 Rock. In one scene in particular, just like he keeps trying to get like all these weird references to try to like connect with the kids, like... Oh, John Hughes films. I know them. Here's a reference. Oh, I didn't get it. Oh, my bad. I'm still cool. Like, this movie is 
you know, a big homage to all these 80s references because to find the Easter eggs in the book, uh, it's big on like, okay, figure out all these things that the creator of the Oasis loved in the 80s. Uh, the movie doesn't require as much uh, prior knowledge, I think, as the book did for this. It's just kind of like a little more fun ambience. But there are key moments like that. But I think the biggest, weirdly enough, the biggest throwback to the 80s is in the depiction of like this monolithic corporation. So Ben Mendelsohn plays the big bad. He is the head of this company called IOI. They make basically all the virtual reality equipment. Um, and his big scheme is, I, I'm going to get the Easter egg and I'm going to I'm not kidding. I'm going to monetize the Oasis. We're going to put ads all over the place. And it's like, oh, 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 okay. We did that already. But the Oasis is like, again, you have to suspend your belief uh, a little bit because the Oasis is largely ad-free. It doesn't seem like there's microtransactions except within the other players. Um, there's no moderation team to speak of. Everyone just kind of seems to act nice. Uh, the only police force seems to be like, ioi is like bad people soldiers um so it's weird so like yeah so ben mendelson is like just a one-dimensional character of just like pure evil um and most characters in this story really are just kind of one-dimensional really the only person that has depth the only two people that are given depth are you know wade watts himself um just by merit of being the the primary focus of this movie and also James Halliday, who's the creator of uh, The Oasis, he's played by Mark Rylance, who's done a bunch of Spielberg films lately. Really good. Um, but outside of that, most characters feel very one-dimensional. If anything, their online avatars seem a lot more fleshed out, a lot more interesting. Um, but when anyone gets a chance to like, kind of act in the real world, it just feels very underwritten, I think is the best way to put it. Well, even though, uh, you know, Ben Mendelsohn was underutilized here, I'm looking at his IMDb page here, and, and well, it quite clearly says that we'll be seeing him in, in Star Citizen's Squadron 42 later this year. That's dated for 2018. Wait, what? That's uh, so Squadron <laughs> Wait, 42 video game post-production uh, coming in, in 2018. So there we, I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty definitive. Star Citizen 2018 confirmed. <laughs> Wow, dude, this cast actually looks really good. Gary Oldman, Mark Hamill, Sophie Wu, John Rhys Davies. Oh, Liam Cunningham. He's that dude I like on Game of Thrones. They've got everybody in that Star Citizen, Ross. I tell you, you know, I, 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 I kid, but I am, I'm honestly very concerned about the production, the production of Star Citizen because I'm, I'm really worried that they're gonna, they're gonna be putting this game out after Mark Hamill dies, and like this is gonna be our lasting memory of luke skywalker like i don't want that to happen whoa 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 whoa! how 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 close is he i don't is he that i don't think he's mark hamill's age 66 he he can hang in there all right i don't know i, I lost carrie fisher i'm getting real gun shy now wow this i gotta tell you this 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 got real dark i was <laughs> this this episode of quality control has way more depth and intrigue than all of ready player one see i'm bringing it back i'm bringing it back all right so you said you told me before we started recording here though that you actually went on a quest to read some of the sections of the book you didn't you didn't uh you know spend a lot of time reading the thing but but those parts that were 
different from the movie. What what did you glean from the book? In what direction did Spielberg go? Yeah, so I'll have to like make a confession. So essentially, I walked into this movie knowing the general plot, read a Wikipedia, I read a few blurbs, saw the movie, and then kind of went back and then started reading the book because I just most people I think are going that the first direction, I kind of held off on reading the book for a while. Um and the first thing I realized is the book is just not good. It just it has not aged well at all. Um, it will have like very long blurbs about like this nerdy pop culture stuff. Like even I'm looking at going, this is too much for me. Um, I'm going to actually read a blurb. This is the blurb that I think the outline called out when they were call- talking about the movie. <clears throat> Daggereth was a word in Sindarin, the elvish language J.R.R. Tolkien had created for the Lord of the Rings. The word Daggereth means battle, but Tolkien has spelled the word with just one G, not two. Daggerath with two Gs could refer only to one thing, an incredibly obscure computer game called Dungeons of Daggerath, released in 1982. The game had been made for just one platform, the TRS-80 Color Computer. That is an actual quote from the book. It, it's a, it's a hard read. And this, like the blurbs I read through it, you know, everything I've read in the book so far is like, it is just like that. And it is a hard read. Uh, I think the, the biggest changes Spielberg made for the book which also to give credit for Zach Penn, the screenplay writer, and Ernest Klein, who helped with that, is Spielberg made a point to say these pop culture references, they exist, they are in this world, you, they are littered on the page, but I can just show them. I don't have to get into detail. And when I do, it's passing dialogue. It doesn't drive the plot. I think in some ways the book has these moments where to get close to the Easter egg, you really need to know all these pop culture references. The main character really needs to understand them. Um, but the movie makes a point of saying everyone is focused on these pop culture references, these f- films and these games that Halliday loved, but they didn't really focus on Halliday the human. And that's kind of the, if the movie is trying to say anything, it is those moments were a lot more important in so many aspects. Very, very interesting. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see, um, I think, how how this movie is viewed in four or five years. I think... I'm hoping that this is kind of more than just a movie that we all dunk on in four or five years. Maybe there'll be something more that comes out of it, something that we'll see um, that's that's resonant from it. But I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to going out to the theaters and seeing it for myself. That's for sure. Yeah, and I will say, I, I do like the film. I, I really do. It's Sometimes it's hard to recommend, but I think it's... I think when Spielberg introduced it at South by Southwest, it had its like surprise opening there. He said he basically created the movie from the viewpoint of the audience. He wanted something that would be just fun to watch. And it really is that kind of movie. Um, Now, the big question, of course, is do movies like this hold up still? Do we like kind of like these mindless action movies, this kind of fun one-off popcorn thing? Does this resonate as much in a world where you can do high spectacle like Black Panther, but still have something to say? You know, even, even the dumbest event, like I think even the dumbest Marvel movie still has a little more makes a little more sense than this movie but i mean spielberg at his like at his most spielberg is still fun right you got that right well hey here's to a little more human interaction did you uh get that dark souls board game that i sent you the dark souls card game you're gonna get out from behind the screen and play that with another human soon uh i'm hoping so it's been on my desk uh i've been going through a move and as soon as I get unpacked, I want to have a board game night where all of my friends come over and we play Dark Souls together. And we just, if it's anything like the game, the video game, 
we can all just learn to hate each other together. And you'll do it in in reality, not in VR. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to you at home for listening today. And thank you, Ross, for joining me. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Charlie. We've got a lot more on Polygon.com, including one of our newest podcasts called The History of of fun. It's by our Chris Plant. It's by Russ Frostick and Allegra Frank. This week they're talking about the early history of Toys R Us, which, well, which left us recently. Today, actually, they stopped selling stuff online. We've got a story about that over at Polygon.com. Until we've got another game or another movie to talk about, this is Charlie Hall for Ross Miller. Thank you for listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Media Podcast Network.